you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John. Today is our last message in this series. Um, as I originally set out to preach through the book of 1 John, I thought I was going to cover most every verse. And then I realized the deeper I got into this, the more impossible that was going to be in the time frame that we had. And so I decided today to, to focus in on one verse, and we're going to zero in on that verse this morning. But I want to ask you a question. Uh, why does it matter? What, does it, what difference does it make? Um, what you really believe about Jesus. Now, I know in your mind you've got all kinds of answers. And for those of us who've been in church a long time, we think, well, that's a silly question, right, right, Miss Louise? I mean, that's a silly question. What do you mean? What does it mean? Or why does it matter what we believe about Jesus? But for those who maybe are just exploring the idea of following Jesus, maybe for those who are kind of been on the edge and they've been listening and they've been kind of aware, but they really haven't sold out their heart to Jesus Christ. They're, they're still kind of holding back and they're not fully committed to him. They haven't surrendered themselves to him. Then maybe for those, they really think, what difference does it make? What does it really matter? I mean, at the end of the day, if, if God is a God of love, then aren't we all going to be okay anyway? And if God is a God of, of tenderness and compassion, then what difference does it make how I live my life today? Does it really matter? What difference does it make? And so there are some that maybe even this morning are sitting here thinking, yeah, pastor, that's what I've been thinking the whole time. Why does it matter? I come here to church because either it's an expectation of my family, or you know, maybe you're a kid and you're a teenager and, and you're here because you've got a drug problem. Your parents drug you to church. Maybe you're here because you know that if you aren't, then people are going to think badly of you for one reason or another. And you wonder, why does it matter to me? Because ultimately, what Pastor Corey and I believe doesn't mean anything when you stand before God unless you have a belief that allows you to stand before Him with a peace in your heart. You're not going to be able to say, can I have a lifeline? There aren't going to be an opportunity, there's not going to be an opportunity in heaven to say, um, you know, can I, can I call somebody to help here? Um, can I lean upon a, uh, a friend? Is there some way to, to narrow the options? No, it's going to be a very binary, one way or the other decision. And so, why does it matter? And does it matter? And does God care? Does God think it, ma think it matters? You know, the church has is, is, is got its own motives out there that some people think. What about God? Does God believe that it matters what I believe? 1 John chapter 5, we're going to read verse 13. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? John writes these words. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. At the end of that, there's a, a grammatical construct in the English language. What is it? It's a period. Period means period. It means stop right here. 
This is the end of this thought. So let's read it again. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Period. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you show us why it matters. That for those of us who are your children, confirm in our hearts, Lord, bring joy to us because of the truth of your word. And maybe, Father, for those who may be here that are still on the outskirts, are still on the fence, are trying to decide whether this Jesus is worth following, Lord, help them this morning to see that it really does matter. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The beginning of this study of the book of 1 John, we talked a little, about, a little bit about who this John is. You remember John was one of Jesus' 12 apostles. He walked with Jesus all around the area of Judea. He did, um, uh, was with, with Jesus when Jesus did some of the most amazing of his miracles. And, and Jesus, among the 12, had a group of disciples that were kind of an inner circle. Peter, James, and John. And it's this John that was kind of part of the inner circle, the, the, the ones that were closest to Jesus. And Peter, James, and John were there when Jesus went on to the mountain and God uh, changed his appearance in their very presence. And John saw these things with his own eyes. Jesus was, or John was there when Jesus uh, was in the upper room just before he was crucified and, and they were sharing a meal. And, and the idea is that, that, man, John even maybe laid on Jesus' bosom. Jesus and John had a very close relationship. And John, when he was walking with Jesus, all indications are that John was much younger than the average apostle. We don't know how old, but maybe even 12, 13, 14 years old. A younger guy. And so here's John, so greatly influenced, so greatly impacted by this amazing teacher named Jesus, that he followed him even after he passed away, even after Jesus was crucified on the cross, John continued to follow Jesus. And then at the resurrection, he, he follows him even more afterwards and to the point that he becomes one of the pillars of the church early on. He's, he becomes one of the most important people in all of the, the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Which means only Paul wrote more of the New Testament than John did. And so, of all of these books, out of, out of all five that he wrote, covering everything from Jesus' earthly ministry to Jesus' involvement in the current life of the church, which we see in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, all the way through Jesus' involvement through the end of history in the book of Revelation, John writes this incredible idea that covers the entire scope of Christianity. And in two of the five books, the first two of his five books, John includes a statement just like this one we just read. In John chapter 20, verse 31, almost identically, Paul, or John writes, I wrote this stuff so that you'll know. And, and that in knowing, you'll believe and in believing, you'll have life. 
And so he said the purpose of writing his gospel was so that people could know Jesus, would believe in Jesus, and in believing in Jesus, they would have life. That was his whole purpose, he said in John chapter 20, verse 31. And now here in John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says it again. These things I've written to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so for two of the five books, the book that begins his writings that describes the life of Jesus to the book that begins his writing to the church that tells us what we should believe, how we should live our lives in light of who Jesus is, in both of those instances, he makes a point of telling us the whole purpose of this is so that you may know. Now, if God chose to use John to pen these words of Scripture and inspired him to do so for the purpose of us knowing, then does it matter whether or not we know? I believe it does. And I want to give you this morning three reasons specifically why I believe it matters. The first one is this. If you've got your little handouts, thank you, Miss Ann, for getting those together. It matters because what? Eternity matters. Now, I want to tell you, I don't believe in scaring people into heaven. Now, I can sit here this morning and explain to you, and I'm going to give you some information. Almost stepped off the stage here. I'll scare you for real now. <laughs> Tumbling. I'm, I am going to give you some information. But I could sit here this morning and explain to you enough about hell that you would absolutely be terrified out of your minds that God would allow people to have to go there. But I want you to understand something. In spite of not wanting to scare you, it is my responsibility to help you understand that those who live their lives in this life and never yield themselves to Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now, I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to make you feel intimidated. But I do want you to know the truth. See, God created man as eternal beings. And that one doesn't show up for some reason. All right, we'll make this work. God created, you, created man as an eternal being. You were created to live forever. Everything about you that makes you you is going to exist for, from now on. It's never going to end. There are those who teach that at the point of death, that's just it. And I want to tell you, if that was true, what a cruel joke life would be. If the best that we could have is the best that we can enjoy here on this earth, if this was all there is to it, then that would truly be a cruel reality for all of us. But the Scripture says that that was not God's plan, that from the very beginning God created man in three parts. He created man in body, soul, and spirit. I don't think that slide's on there either. Is it, Miss Pat? I don't know what happened. Technology is wonderful when it works. God, and when it doesn't, it does. it's not any good at all. But God created man in three parts. And let me give you some scriptures that will help you understand that. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, that you may be, that, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say? Your spirit, your soul, and your body. Three parts. We all understand the whole concept of body, right? Some of us, when we rolled out of bed, really understood the concept of body this morning. I've become part of the snap, crackle, and pop generation. I roll out of bed, and what doesn't snap, crackles, or pops. We understand the whole physical body concept, but the soul and the spirit are very hard for us to understand. And in 2020, at some point, we're going to have a Bible study that we're going to talk about those three things and how they all relate to one another. So that's just an advertisement for what's coming up. But as, as a three-part being, our bodies one day will perish. This fleshly body that we have will perish. Its spirit and the soul within us are going to be completely separated from our body. Now, all of us who have ever had a loved one pass away, we understand what it means when the body dies. We look at the body, we see it there. It reminds me, um, I had an evangelist friend of mine, Homer Martinez, was a Hispanic evangelist from Mexico, and his first sermon, that he, or first funeral he ever preached, everybody out in the audience was crying like crazy, and they were, they were just beside themselves, and he looked down at the casket, and he looked at the people, and he said, I don't know what y'all are all crying about, that's just a shell, the nut's gone. And in so much reality, the shell, the shell of our physical body is just temporary. The part that makes us a nut, it's not there anymore. And if it's not there anymore, then where is it? What happens to the rest of that reality, that rest of that being that we are? One day the body will die. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, and of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So within our bodies, there is this idea of a soul and a spirit. And for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. The soul part of you is your personality, your thoughts, your emotions, your, your action, your, your, your will, your decision making. Your spirit part of you is the part that relates to God. It's the part that God communicates through. And so if you picture the soul as the mediary between the body and the spirit... God tries to guide us and speak to us through our, our mind, our will, and our emotions so that we can follow him with our actions in our body. And so God says, even to the point of your soul and your spirit, I can separate that and I can speak to you. And so when we pass away, when we leave this world, when our bodies fail and that separation begins to happen and the body one day will die, then what? Hebrews 9 27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment. Comes judgment. Now, you might say, Pastor, that's harsh and hard. Take it up with the author. I'm just reading his book. 
every one of us. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Every one of us one day will stand before the creator of the universe. When that moment comes for you, what will it look like? Does it matter? Well, Scripture says it definitely matters. In fact, the Scripture gives a very um, difficult picture for us to be able to accept and to digest. In Revelation chapter 20, almost at the very end of the book, again written by the Apostle John, it says in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things written in the books. What's in the books? According to their deeds, it says. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. I won't pause there for a moment. There's coming a time when we stand before God. And the only question that's going to matter is which book is he reading from? You see, there are two books that are mentioned here. There was one book that was mentioned. It was called the Book of Life. And then there was another set of books. I think it's interesting that he had to use plural there. There's another set of books that's mentioned in which all of the deeds of our lives are recorded. Everything. Kids, that stuff that you don't think mom knows, God does. That thought that you had that you didn't think anybody, God knows. That time that you were going to help someone, you felt led, led of God to help someone, and you didn't, God knows. He knows every part of it. Nothing escapes Him. And these books are going to be opened. And when He opens them both, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the sec this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written into the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So in other words, if your name is not in this one book, then you're thrown into the lake of fire. It's a binary decision. It's an either or, yes, no, one or two. It's not a, if your deeds are here and we look at your deeds and we say, well, you know, Taylor's been mostly good on every day except Tuesday, No. It's, is your name written in the book of life? And if not, you're thrown into the lake of fire. When we were in Israel, we got to see from the Mount of Olives down into the, the city of Jerusalem. As we looked down into the city from the mountain, 
It's an amazing sight. And if you picture as you're looking forward, running right in front of Jerusalem, between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, you have the Kidron Valley. And leading down into the Kidron Valley is this gigantic um, uh, cemetery of Jewish graves. And they're all heading down into the valley. And then coming up out of that valley, heading up to the wall there at Jerusalem, is a bunch of Muslim graves. And between them in the valley is a bunch of Christian graves. We get stuck in the middle even there. And then off to the side of the old city, running back up this way as you're looking at the city, there's another valley. And I want to show you a picture of that valley. That picture is not showing up. Is it in there, Miss Pat? Yeah, okay. You see this valley that runs off over here to the left, and you can't see it real great because of the size of it, but you see the blue? And then look just straight down that picture, you'll see a valley. That's the Gehenna Valley. What is that important? Why is that important? Well, if you remember back in the Old Testament, there was a time where the kings of Judah were absolutely wicked before God. They were sacrificing even children. This is where they were sacrificing them. And Isaiah and Jeremiah both say this place is cursed because of what took place. And the nation of Israel, in response to what was taking place there, after they tore down those those idol-worshipping spots, they turned it into a refuse, a a garbage dump. And, And they would throw dead bodies of people in there who were criminals And this became just a a dark place. And if you could see it close enough on the picture, you could see that even in this photo, 2,000 years later, it looks dark compared to everything else. And in that valley with the garbage and the dead bodies, the worms would just consume the garbage. And there was a stench that you can't imagine. And so they would set it on fire to burn it to try and help. The word that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels when he talks about this place called hell is Gehenna. Right outside the gates of the city is a visual representation of a place where Jesus says, the worms never stop eating and the fires never go out. It's a place of destruction and disgust and everyone who ever thought about it would realize how terrible of a place it was and Jesus in the most visual descriptive language he could possibly have used for the people in that time he says that if your name is not written in the book of life you're thrown into a lake of fire which would have been way worse than anything they could have imagined even in Gehenna Does it matter? Absolutely it matters. It matters because without Jesus, that's the reality that someone faces. But with Jesus, things change. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Was that one in there, Miss Patter? Did it not make it either? All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. This is the power that's working in us. You ready? Which he brought about in Christ, and he raised him from the dead and seated him at the heavenly places 
uh, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come and he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who, who fills all in all. Jesus isn't there. If you keep reading further in the book of Revelation, you see right after this, we see the picture of the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ coming down from heaven. And those whose name is written in the book of life will spend eternity in that glorious place with Jesus Christ. A place where you don't have to worry about the fires and the worms. A place where you don't even have to worry about the tears that would fall. A place where you don't have to worry about what's next on the meal. A place where you don't have to worry about how am I going to pay the light bill because Jesus himself is the light. Does it matter? Yes, it matters because eternity matters. It matters because others matter as well. It's not just that eternity matters, but others matter. When you know that your relationship with Jesus Christ is what it's supposed to be, when you know that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, when you know that you have hope and faith and a life that's guaranteed in heaven with him, it changes the way you interact with other people. If you were in Sunday school this morning, uh, in our class, Brother Willie did a fantastic job of explaining what it means to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. This idea that God is going to take us and use us for his glory, and it will matter to others when you live your life in as, as surrendered to Jesus Christ. At the end of chapter 4, we talked about last week a confident assurance that comes to the believer in Jesus Christ. When I know that my faith is secure, not because of what I've done, but because of who Jesus is, when I know that my reality is sealed because Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith, has made it clear and abundantly uh, true that my eternity with him is guaranteed when I realize those things it provides a confident assurance in myself that I can go out and tell others that what is true about me can be true about you but you will never be a powerful witness for God until you nail down the assurance of your own salvation and maybe this morning you're sitting here thinking it sure would be great to have that knowledge, to be sure. Because if I really believed, if I really knew that, then I would have to tell everybody I know. If I knew without a doubt that Jesus Christ would, would come into the life of someone and change them from the inside out, that Jesus was capable of forgiving everything that they've ever done and that Jesus was capable of embracing them as a, as a joint heir with him in God. If, if we knew that that was really true, that, that Jesus could take a sinner who had no hope and turn him into someone who was assured of their salvation and was living for the glory of God, if we really believed that, then wouldn't we tell somebody? Others matter. December 7, 1986, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, to my knowledge, at that point in my family, I was the first one in my immediate family to have come to knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm the last of nine. Today, I don't know the reality of, the, of all their hearts, but... 
Now I look at brothers and sisters that have made decisions to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now I hear comments from my brother online about the messages from our church here in California that he sees. Now I know about nieces and nephews who've given their hearts to Jesus Christ. It's not because of me. It's because the testimony of what's true matters. It makes a difference to others. John says this in verse one of or verse three of chapter one. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, if, if you know this, you're going to be telling other people too. It matters that you know where your salvation is because if you know that your salvation is in Jesus Christ, you will tell others. Paul said it, uh, uh, I'm sorry, James and John said it this way, for we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. You can tell us to shut up, but I'm going to keep going. We live in a culture and in a time where even Christians in America are being told what we should and what we should not say. And I will tell you, as long as there's breath in my lungs and sound will come out of my mouth, I cannot stop speaking about what I've seen and what I've heard, what I know to be true. <coughs> this is what gave Paul's witness its power. This is what made a difference in his life as he ministered to others. And I want to tell you, it's going to make the difference for you. If you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know that it's because of what Jesus did and not because of who you are, then that's going to give you the ability to tell anyone at any time that there is hope found in him. Paul says it this way. To Timothy. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. You want to know why Paul was such an amazing witness? Because he knew. He knew. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel, for it's the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. I'm not ashamed, I know. Why do I, why do I know? Because I have experienced it in my own life. I know it matters. And so it matters for others, and I need them to know what's true. You see, it matters because the truth matters. I want to tell you. There are enough people pretending to be Christians today. I'm not interested in helping you act more like Jesus. What I'm interested in is God changing you from the inside out. Because if I can convince you to do something, somebody else can convince you to do something else. But if God gets a hold of your heart and begins working in your life and changing you from the inside out and you've experienced the grace of God and the power of God and the magnificence of God working in you, you will not turn your back on Him because He is so far superior to anything this world can offer. 
Today, across the world, they say there are 2.3 billion Christians. It's interesting that it only took one book for the book of life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to life. And it's not through church, it's not through giving, it's not through serving, it's not through loving, it's not through, it's not through being kind and being generous, it's not through any, it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's why when John wrote this, he said, These things I have written to you who believe, what? In the name of the Son of God, that Jesus has come as the Son of God to change the world. And if you will place your faith in him, he will change you. And the world needs to hear that. It doesn't need to hear a bunch of malarkey about religion. It doesn't need another self-help session. It needs to know that we know, and because we know, it changed us. And because he changed us, he can change them. And if they will give their life to Jesus Christ, then they will know as well. That's what needs to happen. There is no other solution. What is true of you and I will shape our lives. And if you are a child of God, if you've nailed this down... If you really do understand what it means to believe in the name of the Son of God, if you've really given your heart to Him, then your life will be changed because of it. It will make a difference in the way you interact with other people. It will make a difference in the way you, you do things. We don't do things because, uh, in order to, to receive God's grace. We do things because we've received God's grace. And it changes us. And if you're still the same, if your life isn't changed, if there's not a difference in you from before to now, if you can't point to a time and place in your life where you know that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and then look back and see all of the things that he's been doing and how faithful he's been, if that's not true of you, you need to nail that down because the whole purpose of writing two books was so that you would know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. First Peter, if you address the Father, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's works, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who, he raised, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. When you know, when you know, when you know, that you're His. You know your eternity is secure. You know the difference that it made in your life and so you know how much you want to impact others. And you know that the only thing that matters is the truth of Jesus Christ. So I could come here this morning and tell you a list of 40 things 40 reasons why you ought to be a good person. 40 reasons why you ought to be a part of our church. 
40 reasons why you ought to live your life a certain way. God could have written a self-help book that would have been better than any of the rest of them. But God knew that what we needed wasn't self-help. We needed His help. We needed Jesus Christ. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you and I. And because of that sacrificial gift, we have hope. We have life in Him. And that, brothers and sisters, matters. And if you're not sure of that for yourself, and this morning, would, would you help me, allow me to help you be sure? Would you just take a moment and say, I want to know. If it's important enough that God wrote two books in the Bible, that he said in his, in his own hand, the whole purpose of this was so that I could know. If it's that important to God, then it ought to be important to me this morning. And so I want to know. If that's your heart, then this morning... I'm going to be here in the front, and I want to share with you how you can know that you have eternal life. Others of you have eternal life. You know that. It ought to impact the way we live. It ought to change us because others need to know. Because the truth matters, and we need to be out there telling others the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And this morning, maybe you need prayer that you'd have the courage to live your life that way. Maybe you need to pray for someone else in your family, someone that you love, that they would come to know that they have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we're going to give you that opportunity this morning as we join together in prayer. Taylor's going to come and we're going to sing. And during this time, if you want someone to pray with you, we'll be here at the front. W would you just, by faith, I know you might think it doesn't make any sense. Trust God. Give him this moment and say, God, I, I'm just going to, by faith, step out and I'm going to say, Lord, I'll follow you. I want to know. If that's your heart, would you, would you come forward during this song and let me share with his, his word with you how you can know. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Father, in this moment, as you speak to the hearts of your people, Lord, would you give them the courage that they need to follow, that they could know the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.